Hello and welcome to Potato Chip Podcast number seven. Seven in. Cool beans. <clears throat> and I want to start off today by talking a little bit about something which um, I overthought completely the other day. But it was funny because it was it was a feel-good business movie I was watching from the 80s, which was um, The Secret of My Success. And I think, you know, nearly everyone should have seen that by now. Michael J. Fox. Um, one of his, like early come out kid kind of movies and it was so quintessential 80s too in the way that the production team went about it advertised new york and they clearly didn't have the budget that they really required i reckon there was a period in the 80s and they still do it today let's be honest but there was definitely a period in the 80s where they were just churning movies together throwing them out the door whatever you know and they they really succeeded sometimes but they really created a lot of shit and, um, and I wouldn't say the secret of my success was shit, but it's, it's got all those characteristics of an 80s movie in the uh, deliberate uh, fourth wall breaking to make it clear that it is a movie and people are posing and the, um, the utter cheesiness and over-the-top nature of the 80s and the shoulder pads and the glimmering you know nature of it. And uh, I felt like it epitomized to the Reagan 80s where it's kind of, the idea is is that success wins and it doesn't really matter how success is arrived at. But the important thing is it's money and we're in America and we're smiling. And um, the reason I think it's kind of funny and silly and worth talking about is because there's this, uh, the whole undercurrent of that movie is about essentially a... So, so the movie is told in a way where it's like a kid comes from Kansas and he really wants to make it in America on his own. His, his thoughts are so pure and you've constantly got this message of, you know, he wants to make sure that he's not getting a leg up for free. And he tells his parents, you know, when I come back here, I'm not going to come back on a train ticket. I'm going to come back uh, on a private jet and all this sort of, you know, glamorized hope and I'm going to make it and, you know, this really idealistic stuff, which is all great. Um, and they even have a, a, a scene in it where he, he said he kept the Kansas return fare, like the return trip ticket, um, that he's, that his dad insisted he got for him as like a fail safe, uh, just, just, to, to, to have as it, that if he cashed it in, if he used it, it meant that New York had beaten him, that he failed. Um, but the funny thing is about the whole story is that there is a complete undercurrent of deception and incestuous uh, relations. And, um, you know, because the whole story is about taking down essentially or trying to make a name for himself. And he ends up at the end. If you haven't seen this movie by now, then, you know, spoiler alert, but get over it. It was made in the 80s for crying out loud. Uh, there's meant to be this 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 scene in the in the end where, it was all coming together and it would all sort of buddy up. But there are a few key things about the secret of my success, which is, which are really funny. And one of them is the, the relationship he does, he gets involved in with the male guy. So there's a, another guy, which he befriends because he's, he gets a job essentially through an uncle of his, like a second cousin kind of thing. So it's not uncle by real blood relation, but you know, it kind of is there. And, um, through through second relation with that uncle, it's his mother's like sister's um, 
brother or something like that, or mother's sister's cousin or I don't know, whatever it is, his cousin's sister, mother's cousin's sister or something. Uh, no, mother's cousin's brother, that's what it is, because it's the guy, the head, the CEO of this company. And the mum, when when this kid rocks up to New York, he, he goes to the place where he had a job lined up and they say, oh, we got taken in a hostile takeover. Um, your job isn't here anymore. I'm sorry, kid, you're out on the street. He's like, fuck, got to find a job. So he goes to a bunch of places, you know, typical kind of montage of him getting rejected. And um, then it eventually gets to a stage where uh, his mum hooks him up with this CEO that they know by a distant family relation. And the CEO is this like really hard-nosed guy. It's one of these big multinationals the company's meant to be. It's all diversified assets. So, you know, he's, he says like, uh, so what do you know about the company, kid? Like when he goes in for his first little meeting with him and he only gets into by by leveraging the family angle because you know if you've ever been in any element of the business world you know that you can't just walk into a ceo's office especially the head of a large multinational in new york you've got to have a good reason to be there because the key thing is that these people are so short on time anyway um he goes into this guy's office and he says yeah, your portfolio is really diverse you're involved in everything from dog food like he's actually trying to list out to impress the guy you know, I know you're involved. He says, I know you're involved in everything from dog food to missiles, but the way he delivers it delivers it isn't like to to make it sound like, you know, oh, you're involved in everything from, um, you know, the sun to Jupiter, like, you know, some sort of exaggeration. But he's actually saying like, yeah, you are involved in dog food and missiles. <laughs> what company is involved in, has such a diversified portfolio? I mean, you know, I'm sure there is one, but come on, dog food and missiles. <laughs> So anyway, you know, it's it's this ridiculousness of it started and um and and that's fine and I don't mind a movie being ridiculous and I'm not <laughs> trying to even though I clearly am saying that oh this movie isn't believable. This comedy is who would have thought the 80s comedy that I was watching isn't believable shock horror. But the funny thing is about some comedies is they clearly are self-effacing in knowing that oh yeah, they this is not deliberate. And this isn't meant to be believable. But there's something about some of the 80s movies, uh, especially ones where it's like kid, you know, going to New York uh, to make it big or going to LA to make it big or whatever, where it's trying to be sold like it's the American dream and it is something that can happen and and it's kind of glorified in, in some sort of um, attempt at normalizing it, you know. Uh, and only the 80s could try and do that. Um like Crocodile Dundee, that's sort of fantastical, but they were trying to normalise the idea of an Australian as some crazy uh, crocodile wrestling, Foster's drinking, um, you know, wild man from from out in the bush. Uh, the majority of us, though, are really picky on our lattes and come from cities which have, you know, enormous hipster populations. <laughs> There's nothing like Crocodile Dundee. But it's trying to normalise this, this sort of image. And yeah, there is a fantastical nature of it. Where they're like, oh, yeah, of course all Australians aren't like Crocodile Dundee. But when you go to America, they do ask you about snakes a lot. <laughs> the reality is that it's not really a thing that most people have to deal with at all. Snakes in Australia are a thing like, for, for Australians, like um, sort of uh, bears are for people in New York. It's just... You know, there are parts of the country, 
bears are more of a thing for Americans than snakes are for Australians. Like, if, you, if you're a farmer in Australia, sure, you do come across snakes every day, but it's not like they're all around the place um, infesting things. Obviously, there's some parts of the country where they're all over. But for crying out loud, in the Everglades, there are African rock pythons everywhere right now. They've got an actual issue with that stuff. But anyway, drawing back to this movie, The Secret of My Success. Um, so, you know, he gets a job in the mailroom and he makes friends with this this guy, this mailroom clerk. And it's phenomenally funny because it's this like casual guy that's, you know, just like from Queens or whatever. And, you know, really easy going. And, you know, he's trying to show him the ropes. And he's like, you know, the boss thinks that I do it takes me about half an hour to do what he thinks takes me four hours and, you know, get all these ins and outs and sort of thing. So he develops this buddy-buddy relationship with this guy. And then at some point, um, really quickly, he's walking around and, and the guy's like, you know, don't talk to suits because there's like a social differentiation here. They're not going to respect you and look at you normally because you're not wearing a suit and you're not in the corporate sphere and so forth and you're just a mailroom boy. But he notices that there's an empty office and so he's in the empty office and he's just sort of looking around in it while he's got like a spare moment, looking at this beautiful view uh, out to Manhattan, daydreaming, wishing that he too was in a, um, a corner office somewhere at some stage. And it's hilarious because the phone rings and he picks it up and then just goes along with whatever someone's talking to him about at the other end. Like, like this is his chance to start bullshitting someone. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine and it's clearly silly and there are moments which it's capturing how silly it is um by having the you know him in the in the uh the elevator going up and down getting changed between mailroom clothes and and normal clothes but there are times when they're trying to actually make it seem believable like like someone could do this and i'm thinking how many people would have questions in the surrounding offices how many people just involved in 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 the day-to-day because yeah like a, a floor of an office building is big but generally speaking most people get to know each other and if someone new moves in it's kind of like oh, yeah okay well i can see that there's a new guy over there especially when people have fixed offices you know uh if it's one of these modern urbane uh uh, offices where they try and have uh, terminals that you just go sit at for the day and, you know, no one has their own space and that sort of horseshit. Um, I know people like PwC did that in Melbourne um, and, and it's like they're trying to be, it's like an accounting firm trying to be Facebook. It just doesn't work. Look, you're an accounting firm. I get that you want to change the French way of your office, but the colours aren't fooling anyone, let alone the accountants. Uh, and it gets it gets funnier and funnier in this movie because... It, it, it's sort of like he just keeps going. And so, okay, I was buying it up at uh, that stage. You know, of course it's a movie. Of course I'm not saying, oh, this isn't realistic. But um, it gets to a stage, though, what, what I found really funny about the movie is that his uh, actions start to become uh, like a misrepresentation that's bordering on someone else's misery, someone else's downfall. Because it's talking about... Uh, throughout throughout the movie, there there's to, there's this whole sort of underlying narrative of how corporate America doesn't care about the worker man and how um, you know life is so uh, you, your job security is so fleeting and and you've only got yourself to look after um, and watch your own back and la 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 and then this kid okay to give context. He, he ends up bringing down the CEO, the very guy who gave him a chance, the very guy who gave him a job. 
he ends up bringing him down because he doesn't believe that the 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 decision to make corporate cutbacks in order to facilitate a, a hostile takeover is going to be in the uh, in the interest of of the rest of the company. Not that he knows anyone else in this company really. So this guy who's the guy who is going to bring down is the very guy who's got him the job to begin with, who's probably suffered and worked his ass off to get to the top, and all he's guilty of is uh, I think sleeping around with a, a guy that uh, the Michael J. Fox character falls in love with, um, which happened prior to this Michael J. Fox character even coming into the the scene at all, and it gets funnier. Um, J. Fox's character roots the guy's wife after after driving her home on some bizarre request from the mailroom which would never happen um, but but roots the guy's wife uh hilarious and i have to i have to play for you the song you would know exactly what movie i am i'm talking about with this song coming on i mean you can already hear it now <laughs> it is the stupidest song on earth for an 80s but but it's so quintessential and everyone knows this scene but they struggle to sort of it's one of those things where it's like it's a classic scene in 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 uh cinematic history um well you know it's not, not like citizen kane classic scene but classic scene like dumb and dumber classic scene and so he roots this guy's wife who's his auntie twice removed so there's the incestuous part for you albeit you know it's not really biological because it's um through marriage um but uh bangs this guy's wife uh starts rooting his girlfriend and then completely sets up um misrepresents himself in his company despite this guy giving him a job and then yeah later on in the company the guy's like look i know you've been keeping your head down i'm going to promote you later on because you've been doing such a great job michael j fox's character has been living this double life of, of faking being a corporate guy in the business and faking something else. And then he he works out a way to befriend through the guy's wife who he's been rooting. Now, this is, uh, it, it's hard to follow at some points in this movie, but essentially this little shit has completely come into this guy's life. But he's clearly, look, regardless of whether he's cheating on his wife or that sort of shit, he's worked hard to get there and it's the nature of the economy which enables the business to operate in the way it does and means that it's beholden to shareholders and has to operate in their interests based on the best information it can. This guy's worked so hard to get the position that he's in and then this little shit comes in, bangs, he, get, he gives a job to the kid. The kid then starts to infiltrate his company um, with, with no experience, no knowledge, just starts calling shots and pretending to be uh, in, an exec, um, all unbeknownst to this guy, plays trickery, starts influencing the guy's board and the guy's executive team to make different decisions against what the actual CEO, so the leader of the company, who has the responsibility of strategically directing it, says, this kid's sabotaging it. The guy then, not knowing that this kid is doing this, says to the kid, look, you're working great in the mailroom. I'm going to give you a chance soon and promote you and give you a better job. And invites him out to his uh, holiday house, even though you know this kid's been rooting his wife. He doesn't know about that. He invites him out to his holiday house. Oh, there's some good people for you to meet and you'll be able to get in. So he's actually at the stage where 
And the kid wouldn't have been there for that long. I mean, we're talking about uh, maybe it's three months in and he's already getting a chance. But he's been rooting the guy's wife. He's been subverting and undermining his entire company to the level that when he gets to goes to this party and makes connections and so forth, then leverages those connections, leverages those relationships against the very hand that fed him and ends up kicking this guy out of his own company in a hostile takeover because the wife is the person who's the majority shareholder and owns the company. Oh my God, it is like a horror story because I just think to myself, look, yeah, this guy, the CEO, whatever, yeah, he wasn't the uh, you know father, husband of the year, but he didn't deserve all that. <laughs> I couldn't get over the fact that this little shit had come in and completely undermined the whole operation. <laughs> and that's somehow missed. So obviously the whole thing in terms of doing the different jobs, and it's all completely unbelievable. But it's, the funny thing is that it's celebrated at the end what he's actually achieved, you know, and suddenly like, oh, and even better, his mailroom buddy, he just promotes to be, you know, a wealthy exec with him, despite the fact that if that guy's in the mailroom at that and he's been in the mailroom for as long as he perceivably has, as if you're going to be able to enable shareholder um, confidence in you by promoting him to an exec position, which, you know, you presumably assume he has because he's now wearing a tux and walking around with all that money. Um, oh, God, the whole thing is an absolute shit fest. It's so funny, though. It's so funny. Um, but anyway, uh, so onto some away from that for a moment and onto some actual interesting sort of discussion. I put up a blog post today that I think is um, worth having a bit of a look at because what I talk about is uh, getting rid of the whole term of global marketing and just thinking about marketing. And and if you're, let's say, and the example I give is let's say you're selling T-shirts in a small town. Let's say you're selling T-shirts in Greenville, South Carolina. You know, um, So previously in, in using traditional forms of marketing and media, you would just... Uh, be able to sell to a, a limited sort of receivership because the cost of marketing and getting people to see your product uh, would be so excessive of your ability to just sort of say the difference wouldn't be quite apparent. It wouldn't be so so clear cut to just um, you know buy ad time or, or buy radio time in different cities or, or, or post ads in multiple newspapers or whatever the different version was. But with the advent of new platforms and Vimeo and different things and Vine, and uh, you can develop relationships with customers uh, keeping towards the native language of the platform you're using. And you can market to people in Spain, in Angola, in China, in Tokyo, in Australia, wherever it is. And that's the beauty of it. So to stop thinking about uh, marketing as, as a, you know global marketing versus domestic marketing and so forth, and change your mentality to, um, okay, my customer base is the world and my ability to reach them is purely determined by my willingness to understand the actual nature of communicating on these individual platforms, how to best develop content that people are going to be receptive to and then at scale, um, you know, delivering that content. And that's the key. Uh, but it's got to be, it's got to be, you got to be not only talking in the native tongue of whatever the platform is you're using, but it has to suit the product. 
You can't just throw shit out there and have a space. And this is a big mistake that marketers make or marketing departments make is they just try and occupy space, you know, like, like it's a billboard on, on the I-95 Expressway. They try to occupy space on Facebook and space on Twitter, but they're not actually using it and leveraging that attention in an effective, um, you know, useful manner. And so the actual ROI is is completely irrelevant. You know, it can't be measured because there's no real effort there to begin with. It's it's not going to happen. It's, it's a failed effort at the outset. And the key, the absolute key, is to always make sure that what your product is the content is relevant and being delivered in a language that's native to that platform. So, you know, if it's art sort of thing, if it's T-shirts, if it's visual, then what are the most visual platforms that are, uh, have garnered the most amount of attention? Where are you going to get the best traction for that? Um, what is the demographic you're going after? Well, how are they communicating over that platform? And how can you best get their attention? And really importantly, how can you leverage the attention in trending topics on a daily basis, which is key and it's really what you should be keeping your eye out for because you have to think about social media as something which is being operated on a daily basis. You can't do a six-month campaign, leave it out there, see what happens. It's based on a whole bunch of data that was done six months beforehand because shit is changing way too quickly and you need to be operate, You need to be there in the fight. It's, it's like being in the trenches constantly. And if you're doing that and if you're putting in that hard work, then it will pay off because what you're developing in the trenches is relationships with those demographics, with the people that will then be able to garner long-term results and you'll be able to have a better positive outlook going forward. But the key in that as well is that because you're developing attention through leveraging attention in the native language through high-quality content delivered at scale, the next thing that you're going to be able to do is when the platforms change, you're going to be on the front foot because you're already operating in the manner in which you can pick up the new platform and learn it, develop it, harness it, and sell on it um, in, the, uh, in the appropriate way. And that's key. That's key because everyone who isn't doing that, you've got a head start on. And it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, that's the biggest mistake people make. You've got to be doing it on and on and on every day you've got to commit to it because people come back to a source that they can get reliable content from you know it could be lad bible lad bible is really good at just churning out content that people spend a bit of time on every day and it's all sorts of stuff um it can be just humorous it can be a bit of tear jerking kind of thing but at the end of the day what they deliver is good quality content in context, on a daily basis. Um, there's a few really good ones on Instagram that do the same sort of thing. And, and uh, it's in the similar vein of, you know, it might be just a bit silly and so forth, but they're throwing it out there every single day and that's what makes it valuable. Uh, especially, especially on something like Instagram, especially on Snapchat, you know, and being able to talk to your fans. The best use of social media by a celebrity that I've seen in recent years is The Rock. The way that guy engages on Twitter, on I'm sorry, Instagram with his fan base, you think that he has like a special relationship with them, like he actually has a really personal connection with them. And the reality is that he does. He puts in the effort. 
He understands that he's talking to people on the other end who are receptive, who want to hear what he has to say, and he really values it. And he understands that what he's carrying essentially is stock, and it's attention stock based on quality and honesty and all those sort of things. And so he talks about and he does things and he takes pictures of things that he believes in. So The Rock really loves working out. The Rock Rock really loves being able to, um, you know, talk about the experiences and 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 show that he's grateful for the interactions and the things that he's had in his life and so forth. And just recently, in the last two weeks, I hear that The Rock wants to run for president. His use of social media is so good that if he continues that and continues leveraging it and that feel good and that positive energy, he will develop more followers. His content will improve and increase, and he'll <laughs> this. Given the shitstorm that exists right now with one Donald Trump, it would not surprise me if Dwayne The Rock Johnson was the was the following president. Because I don't think people want that they're, they're still not interested in in the stereotype of a politician who's just lying to them in in a blanket fashion. Because for all of Donald Trump's current failings, what you have with the Republican Party uh, currently is an unwillingness to admit fault, which everyone hates in a politician. And what you have with the Democratic Party is a constant bickering and calling of the other side wrong and bad and evil, which is what everyone hates in a politician. What everyone likes to see is someone to stand up and just be quite honest and be quite transparent and opaque. But the reality is that these people fear losing their jobs so much that they fail to communicate in a way which actually connects with the people that they're trying to represent. You have someone like Dwayne The Rock Johnson come along. <laughs> it's always Dwayne The Rock. It's never just Dwayne Johnson. You have someone called, and th- there you go, straight up. That is good marketing. The fact that I refer to that guy as Dwayne The Rock Johnson, you know, think about that. I associate the words, especially, I associate the phrase, the definite article and an inanimate object with a man that I know to be successful. And like, I look at Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I've never met the guy before in my entire life. But he, he's portrayed such a character and so much charisma through social media, through his movies and so forth, that I reckon he'd be a really cool guy to hang out with. I've got no idea. I don't know. I've never, never met the guy. But the point is that he's been so successful in communicating the message of what he's trying to sell, which is his stock, his attention, you know, that if he continues to do that, I would not be surprised, given that the option is either a, a lifetime politician you're definitely not going to elect re-elect Donald Trump. And so yeah, you get this guy come out. He's tall. He's strong. He's all teeth and smiles. And he's got such a positive relationship with people that you just think, this guy's been so authentic on Instagram. This guy's been so authentic in, on his communication with me in social media that I kind of want to vote for him just because he seems real, you know. And people will start to vote along those lines because that is how communication has changed. So if you wanted to win the next presidential election and you're a Democrat or you're a Republican, I would go off script and that is off the party line and I would just be honest. That doesn't mean you then sabotage the nature of the party and everything, but it means that you don't go out there as a spin doctor regurgitating the same thing. You actually develop a relationship. You don't try and mask and be you know fine-tuned, careful with everything you're posting and so forth. You've actually got to... And you don't, um, the thing about Bernie Sanders, for example, now Bernie, a lot of the things that he's trying to convey are really good messages and good ideas and so forth, but he's constantly selling over, uh, over social media, over Twitter. He's constantly selling, selling, selling. And the reality is that if he's just giving a bit more in the nature of 
telling us a bit more about who Bernie Sanders is, showing us a bit more of Bernie Sanders, uh, admitting to some perhaps weaknesses, uh, creating more of a human context beyond the party policies that he wants to sell or the policies that he believes in. Because delivering those policies is going to have more of an impact if the relationship has been strengthened, you know, in a garnering of trust, a telling of stories and so forth and, you know, so on. So the key, the key is to use the social media in an effective way. And someone like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, my God, it's so effective. But bringing this all back to global marketing, get rid of the word global, think of just marketing and focus on the platforms because you can be in Greenville, South Carolina and sell t-shirts or whatever it is you're selling, jewelry or whatever it is, and do it at a global level through leveraging. So working out where your product is, put effort into making sure your product is high quality, but you need to be spending 50% of the time or get a business partner in, 50% of the time just focused on just marketing, just leveraging attention, just getting the message out there, just focusing on those things. And that's going to be key because that is the audience's ear and it's going to take three years and it's going to be worthwhile in the end because what you develop is a cult following because you're constantly putting out that good content that we're talking about. You're constantly keeping the relationship there, developing it, giving people a reason to be there and talk to you and want to be around you. And that's absolutely vital. I think that's just about it for tonight. I've talked already way too much about 80s movies and Dwayne Rock Johnson. It's fair for anyone's liking. Um, <clears throat> enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. If you've got any questions, throw them at me over Twitter. Okay, bye.